0: We've been working our way sort of through Advent, uh, four weeks of Advent and today we're going to be looking at Luke 2, 25 to 38. So I'm just going to read that for you this morning. At that time there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was a righteous man and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus the baby Jesus, to the Lord as the law required, Simon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign God, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is a glory to your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simon, Simeon blessed them and said to them, said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanael from the tribe of Asher and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshipping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. So what we've been, what we've been working through is four different songs. The first one was Mark talked about Zechariah's song, and it was the song of faith. And then Gavin talked about the angel song, and that was the song of peace. And then last week, Matt shared about Mary and the song of trust. So today we're looking at Simeon's song, and it's the song of hope. And the question for me is, what is hope? What does that even mean? It seems to me that we most often think of hope as a wish, something we're wishing for, right? I hope that this will happen. I hope they will marry me. I hope I get that job. I hope I get that gift for Christmas. And if this is what our thought of hope is, then it's no wonder that we tend to treat God like Santa Claus. Right? We just ask for our lists of wants. God, can you give me this? Like every day is Christmas for us. One of my cousins calls God the sky fairy, which is not a great term, but it's probably true in the way that we talk to him. Because, like, that's so often how we treat him, right? Like, you're going to just grant our wishes, God. But in the new year, when we finally come to Job, we've been waiting to get to Job, right, for those of you that keep asking. Job will say this, though God may kill me, I have no other hope. That doesn't sound like a good wish, does it? (laughs) Not a nice Christmas present wrapped under the tree. Walter Brueggemann says this about hope. Hope in gospel faith is not just a vague feeling that things will work out. For it is evident that things will not just work out. Rather, hope is the conviction against a great deal of data that God is tenacious and persistent in overcoming the deathliness of the world and that God intends joy and peace. It seems like hope is more about an expectation than it is about our wishes or what we want. Hope is praying your will be done on earth and heaven in the midst of war when creation is being decimated and when people take advantage of each other. Hope is needed now. Like, not now, but the eternal now. It's always needed. right? The beauty of this thought is that God is ever present, so hope is ever present. It flows out of the source of the spirit of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Spirit. So we need, we need hope in this present moment. It feels like there's a hopelessness, doesn't it? Sometimes. We need hope in the present now. And when Simeon meets Mary and Joseph in the temple, they needed hope in their now. In their, in their moment they were the people that were promised by god to inherit a land it's their promise that they would possess the land they lived in and yet here they are occupied by romans oppressed by another country or another nation but the text says that simeon was eagerly waiting for the messiah to come and rescue israel we have to remember when we look at what the what the israelites were expecting we have to look at the old testament they, what they were expecting was a Messiah in the line of David. David, the one who killed the giant, chopped off his head and gave it to someone. David, the one who killed 200 Philistines, chopped off their foreskins and gave it to his father-in-law to marry his daughter, that, that David. If that's the expectation of this Messiah, it makes me wonder what kind of man Simeon was. Right, everyone around him was likely waiting for this this God to their God to send a Messiah that was a mighty death dealer. But Simon Simeon encounters a child, and he recognizes the promised one. We should pray that we have the eyes of Simeon, eyes to see beyond our own disordered attachments to the presence of the ever present. Right. Isn't that a great phrase? I just threw that in there. Disordered attachments. It's actually not my phrase. It comes from St. Ignatius. St. Ignatius talked a lot about disordered attachments. Right? These are the things that we hold on to that get in the way of us encountering God. And And this isn't that God isn't present to us when we have these attachments because he is always present. It's that we aren't present to God. So disordered attachments I think sometimes it's even our very, own atta- our very own thoughts of God. And we see this happen with the religious leaders throughout the New Testament. Right, Their idea of God keeps them from seeing Jesus, God in the flesh. I want to read to you the first principle and foundation of, of the Ignatian Exercises because it talks about the disordered attachments. Let me read it here. The goal of our life is to live with God forever. God who loves us gave us life our own responsive love allows God's life to flow into us without limit. All the things in this world are gifts from God, presented to us so that we can know God more easily and make a return of love more readily. As a result, we appreciate and use all these gifts of God insofar as they help us to develop as loving persons. But if any of these gifts become the center of our lives, they displace God and so hinder our growth towards that goal. In everyday life, then, we must hold ourselves in balance before all of these created gifts insofar as we have a choice and are not bound by some obligation. We should not fix our desires on health or sickness, on wealth or poverty, on success or failure, or a long life or short one. For everything has the potential of calling forth in us a deeper response to our life in God. Our only desire and our one choice should be this. I want and choose what leads to the deepening of God's life in me. That's beautiful. Nothing should get in our way. And it seems like Simeon had already experienced freedom from many of his attachments, right, to this idea of God as a warrior, for sure. Because he experiences God's presence in this helpless baby. That image of Simeon letting go of his attachments as he holds a child, it could be a very powerful image for us. Right, especially at this time of year, every time we see the Christ child in a nativity, in a koresh, or whatever we call it, we could be asking God to help us to let go of things that hold us so that we can hold on to Him. But Simeon sees something different in his song. It's not really he doesn't sing it, but we call it a song. He says, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people, in a baby wild. The Messiah was to rescue Israel from their oppressors, right? But Simeon also knows of God's greater plan, right? He sees the child in the temple, and he would have known why they were there. At eight days old, Jewish parents took all of their sons to the temple to be circumcised. That was a thing. And then at 40 days, parents were to present firstborn children, firstborn males, in the temple for purification, And this, you see this in Exodus 13. I'm going to read it. uh, Exodus 13, 11 to 16. This is what you must do when the Lord fulfills the promise he swore to you and your ancestors. When he gives you the land where the Canaanites now live, you must present all firstborn sons and firstborn male animals to the Lord, for they belong to him. A firstborn donkey may be bought back from the Lord by presenting a lamb or young goat in its place. But if you do not buy it back, you must break its neck. However, you must buy back every firstborn son. Thank you, God. And in the future, your children will ask you, what does this mean? Then you will tell them, with the power of his mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, the place of slavery. Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, so the Lord killed all the firstborn males throughout the land of Egypt, both people and animals. That That is why I now sacrifice all the firstborn males to the Lord, except that the firstborn sons are always bought back. This ceremony will be a mark branded on your hand or on your forehead. It is a reminder that the power of the Lord's mighty hand brought us out of Egypt. So Mary and Joseph had brought Jesus to the temple to be reminded of the salvation of the, oppressing, the oppression in Egypt. Right? The oppression of their people. And Simeon sees the child and he remembers God's salvation in the past. And he knows that God's plan is the salvation of all people. He extends the promise to all people. He says, I have seen your salvation which you have prepared for all people. When my daughter Kira was young, really young, one of her first, I've asked if I could share this by the way. When she was really young, an early Christmas, probably just when she was like speaking well, so I, probably three or four, we were opening presents, and it was probably 5 a.m. because Cole could never sleep in on Christmas morning, so they probably already ran downstairs and woke up Kaelin, and they're all at the tree. And we started passing out presents, and Kira got something. It was, uh, I think, some kind of My Little Pony of some sort. And so she opened it, was very excited, and held on to that thing like it was life. And then other people opened presents, and we passed Kira another present. She looked at me and said, no thanks, I already have one. Hmm. She was satisfied with what she already had. And Simeon encounters the the Christ child and it's enough for him. He exclaims, now let your servant die in peace. Now I hope we don't see a my little pony and say, well now let me die in peace. But, (laughs) But Simeon is waiting for the salvation of his people. For the oppressors to be overthrown. But the presence of a child is enough. Simeon finds hope in the midst of oppression. He doesn't have the benefit like we do of knowing the whole story of that child, right? Like we know that he goes on to die a, a violent death, but he doesn't bring violence. He wouldn't kill others. He would let them kill them him to show them his love. Don't we most often base our hope on our version of how things should play out? That things will work out for us, right? That we will get that job, that's our hope. Or that that property we wanted to invest in that will sell at a ridiculous price so I can own it. Simeon followed no heavenly sign. He wasn't there for the angels to sing with the shepherds. He wasn't present for that angel song. And he didn't even witness the child in the manger He just simply waited. I think we're too often looking for the glitz, for the bling, for the shiny, and we miss what Simon recognized, the divine in a little child. Simon's expectations were met in the present based on that hope of new life in front of him, this child. I wonder if we could be challenged to behold the image of every child Every new child that we see, we have one here to remind us. As a reminder of God's salvation. Of the new life we're given. Not just for us, but for all of creation. Could we, like Simeon, find peace in the present without knowing the rest of the story or getting all the answers? Where is your hope coming from? There's only two weeks left of 2022. Where will you find hope in 2023 and beyond? What things do we need to give up to find hope in this present moment? I'm going to ask for some response after I read this last quote by Cynthia Bourgeau. but prepare a question or a comment on hope. Cynthia Bourgeau is, is a Episcopalian priest in the States, and she wrote this on hope. Hope's home is at the innermost point in us, and in all things. It is a quality of aliveness. It does not come at the end as the feeling that results from a happy outcome. Rather, it lies at the beginning as a pulse of truth that sends us forth. When our inmost being is attuned to this pulse, it will send us forth in hope, regardless of the physical circumstances of our lives. Hope fills us with the strength to stay present, to abide in the flow of mercy no matter what outer storm assails us. It is entered always and only through surrender, that is, through the willingness to let go of everything we are presently clinging to. And yet, when we enter it, it enters us and fills us with its own life, a quiet strength beyond anything we have ever known. Any response?
1: I was just thinking about how I think we often think of hope in the midst of challenges. And I think that um, in the midst of those challenges, we feel that because God gave us us these challenges that we deserve hope and that we deserve these things as if hope is something that we're supposed to be rewarded with.
2: Hi folks, Uh, some of you may recognize me from uh Downstairs. Uh, So my name is Greg, and uh, you know I've been uh, living homeless for a while, and so grateful for the help that all you guys provide. Uh, And this is a very interesting kind of apex to my week. Uh, I've had a uh, kind of a spiritual journey this week, and I wasn't even intending to come to the service this morning until uh, another uh, homeless peer pointed me this way as as I was walking by and uh, so I happened to attend service today for the first time, <clears throat> and I I've, sitting here the songs and then the sermon have really touched me uh, in a way that I wasn't really prepared for uh, but um, you know maybe I was I was meant to hear this to uh, to finish off my week and kind of the, the spiritual journey this week has been around I'll be, I even wrote, wrote in my journal a little bit about um, what hope means to me versus despair. Uh, and what, what it all came down to is, uh, one thing that can never be taken away from us, in terms of hope, is that no matter what we're dealing with, what pain, what, uh, whether it's physical pain, mental health issues, um, spiritual pain, one thing that can never be taken away from us is our capacity to extend kindness, compassion, and love to others and uh, to ourselves. And I've found that I can find hope in that, knowing that in any moment I have that capacity. Amazing. Thanks, Greg.
3: Hi, folks, so glad to be back for at least one Sunday. (laughs) I was thinking, uh, Kevin, while you were talking that, you know, Sometimes we think hope is expectation. I think there's a difference. I don't know if you explained it. You did go back and forth between expect and hope. I had a friend I had to go see one time with my husband for a little counseling, and she had a piece of paper. She'd pass out, and she'd say, "I right, just want you to fill out these three columns. The first one is uh, what do you expect of yourself. Second one is what do others expect of you." And the last one was, what does God expect of you? So I wonder, does God have hope? Does he expect from us? Is his hope, his expectation wrapped up in his hope for us? Uh, Just a point of explanation. Interesting.
0: Very good.
4: Hope is a very complicated word. Um, (laughs) I understand in French they have five words for what we use as hope. And um, the two that always ring in my head, one, you talked about wishing, the sort of action of hoping for something. And then somewhere there's this very tangible hope that you can almost taste, right? When you're in a really difficult situation and you, at some points you can, you, you can taste the solution mm-hmm. and at some points you, you feel overwhelmed and a and, and void of that, that tangible hope. And... Uh, I think what Christmas is all about is that uh we as humanity sort of hoped for this God that touched us every now and then and uh and then hope came down right this 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 um, incarnate um, man that came as a baby that. That I mean, as, in, in life, it's, life's pretty hopeless, right? We, we go from knowing nothing, and we, we work our way through learning various things through trial and error, mostly error, right? And then before we kind of get it all figured out, we die. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, life's a, life's, a, uh, life's a bitch, and then you die, right? Um, and, uh, but in the midst of that, we have this tangible hope that we can turn to and focus on and realize that, uh, that um, yeah, we're not alone, that there
1: is a solution beyond our own solutions. Um, I'm, I'm hesitant to bring this up because it comes from the field of philosophy. <laughs> but um, the Danish uh, Christian philosopher Soren Kierkegaard talks about despair at some length in one of his books. And he's got this whole really complicated way of describing various kinds of despair that he wants to talk about. It's, it's European philosophy, you don't have to know all of it. Um, the interesting thing for me though is his, the way that he defines despair necessarily uh, involves a relationship with God in order to escape it. He sees despair as an unwillingness to be oneself in the world before God in a way that is both transparent and accountable and responsible to him. And I think a lot of the time, I guess I'm a little bit reminded of Bonhoeffer's cheap versus costly grace here. A lot of the time we go for like a cheap hope that doesn't expect very much of us. And ultimately that leads us to despair because we aren't involved at all in ensuring that our lives are oriented towards God in the proper way. Whereas I think a more holistic view of hope involves necessarily that aspect of accountability and responsibility specifically and especially to God that calls us into account and to action in a way not only that we hope in the right way for the right things, but act in a way that is consistent with those kinds of hope.
5: I hesitate whether to say anything, but hope is very much on my mind because um, as I came in today, I'm very concerned for my friend in another country who's been going through terrible trials and tribulations that don't seem to have an end and I'm continually trying to impart hope to her at the same time as wondering how this will all work out or if it even will and I haven't heard from her for three days which is unusual so I fear something's happened she's either in hospital or her phone which was failing has failed or something hopefully it's not worse than that because she suffered depression and and she asks me you know, questions, theological questions, questions about hope, you know, is there an end to, you know, like like suffering and so on. Uh, my ability to help her directly is limited. I try to help her, like, emotionally or psychologically if I can, but um, her name's Nini, and she's tuned into the services sometimes um, online. But... Um, it's out of my control, you know. And if I never hear from her again and something happened to her, it'll be tragic, but I try to have hope. So I don't know if if anything to say about it's possible it could go either way, you know. God could help her pull through, or possibly it doesn't happen this time, I'm not sure. Um, But, um, yes, a struggle with the hope in the face of things that are not under human control, which is a lot of things, and especially someone like this. So just wondering if you have any thoughts. Thanks.
0: I felt like uh, Greg answered this really well, with we can't control some outcomes, but we can control our actions. That's where we find hope. That's yeah, the kindness, treating other people well. Let's pray, and then you can continue to talk if if you want to ask for the questions after. That's great. There's coffee still, I think, in the cafe if you want to hang around and chat for a little while. Let's pray. God of hope who comes to us in the, the ordinary moments of our lives, in our laundry room and in our kitchen and our, in our bedrooms, even in the barn, we're so thankful for all the good gifts that you've given us, for the phone call when we need it, For friends that make us laugh and for hard decisions that make us grow deeper in faith. God, we bring to you those that we know and love that are sick or ill or struggling, who are hurting, who are even looking for ways to make ends meet. And we ask you for your healing presence. God, we also bring before you our communities where we live. Give wisdom to our leaders. Open their minds and hearts to hear what people are saying. May our leaders work for the good of all, especially for the poor and struggling among us. And God, we bring before you our world, this garden that you planted, tend, and continue to care for. We ask for peace between nations, between brothers and sisters who are fighting, fathers and sons and mothers and daughters. And we ask that you would help joy to infiltrate the hardest heart. Open our eyes, Lord. Help us to see with deeper vision that you accept us just the way we are. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Go in God's grace and peace.